All right, good morning, everybody. That was a beautiful, actually beautiful time of uh, worship in the presence of God. And uh, I was always good. I always love just lingering in the presence of God. It's nothing like it. It's, uh, that's where we belong, really. <laughs> we are, we were cre- we, as, as a matter of fact, from the time of creation, we were created in the context of the presence of God. Uh, so uh, that's good. All right, so now let's get into the, the ministry of the Word of God. We're going to continue on uh, the uh, series on Revelation, but before we do that, let's just pray, okay, and, and commit ourselves before the Lord, and uh, we ask the assistance of the Holy Spirit to reveal His truth that is contained in the Scripture. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we need Your Holy Spirit to to uh, empower us, and for that we submit ourselves. We, Lord, we, we, we declare to you that we want to submit ourselves to the truth that is revealed in, this, in, in your word, Lord Jesus. And because it is the only thing that, will, that you promise that your truth will sanctify us, Father. So uh, touch our hearts, our minds, as we submit to you, and our thoughts, uh, Everything, Lord, even our emotion, Father, we want to be transformed by your truth. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Like I said, we are, we are continuing the series of the book of Revelation. And uh, this time we are, imba- we are about to embark into a new section of the book of Revelation. Yeah. So that we, you know, we see everything we discuss in its proper right context, there are few points that I'd, I would like to uh, to just highlight. Here. First, in the book of Revelation, obviously there are sections that we we've dealt with. The first section, which is in chapter one, where Jesus revealed Himself as the risen Christ to John at that point, and then the second section, which is chapter two and chapter three, where Jesus uh, communicated. His will to the seven churches, and uh, here on earth, and the third section, which is chapter four and chapter five, which I actually preached on amazingly, which is that that presents to us the scene in heaven, and uh, where the understanding is, God is showing John and us the church. What, what is about to take place, but see it from, from his point of view, from heaven's point of view. And all those three sections, you know, it was amazingly covered. So now today, we uh, get to the fourth section. Now this fourth section in, in the book of Revelation is, 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 is a huge section because it is, it is to do with the judgment that's for, that falls on on earth. And this judgment, all these judgments are pre- presented to us as the readers in three different ways, you know, three different forms. It's the seal, the trumpets, and the bowls, okay? The seals covered in chapter, from, uh, from chapter 6 to chapter 8, and then uh, chapter, yeah, chapter 8, and then uh, the trumpets is covered in uh, chapter 8 to uh, uh, verse 6 to chapter 11, verse 15. 
and then the seven bowls. Okay, so we have seven seals, seven trumpets, and then now seven bowls. Uh, it's covered in chapter 16 from verse, verse uh, 1 to verse 17. My focus today, however, is, is going to be on chapter 7. Yeah? Even though I will briefly mention the basic contents of chapter 6, just to bring the, the content, uh, the, the context, so we understand accurately chapter 7. It's pertinent to have the, to have to always read the Bible in, in context. And the way to, to read, actually, as a matter of fact, the secret of under, understanding the context is read what, speak, what, what precedes what, what, what we're reading and, to a certain extent, what after that. So, uh, so uh, in, the, in the first, in chapter 6, okay, what, what, what's, what is contained in chapter 6 is the six seals revealed in chapter 6. It's written in chapter 6. The first four seals to do with uh, four different, di different riders, horse riders. All these have to do with judgments, okay? So uh, chapter 6, verse 1 to 8, is, uh, is the, the, the four riders with different color, you know, the, you know, like white horse signifying certain things, you know, all these different colors. And then uh, the fifth seal, okay, so the one first, a seal one to four is in chapter six, verse one to eight. And then the fifth seal is in chapter six, verse nine to 11, which is, the cry of of the blood of the martyrs under the altar and then the sixth seal is in chapter 6 verse 12 to 17 and it's all about the signs and and the the cosmic uh, disorder and you know earthquake and all those things the 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 things that are messy in 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 the skies and in heaven so there are seven seals altogether. Like I said, six of them covered in chapter six. And the, seven, the seventh seal is not mentioned until we go all the way to chapter eight. Which means now we, we you know, chapter seven is between chapter six and uh, it's between the sixth seal to the seventh seal, which we are going to read now. And as a matter of fact, it is called, you know, chapter 7, commonly known by people who study the Bible, scholars and keen Bible students. Uh, the uh, chapter 7 is, is known, known as the interlude between six, uh, seal number 6 to seal number 7. Let's read it, okay? It says here, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he, this is, seal is, has nothing to do with judgment. This is, okay, we'll read further. We'll keep going, all right? With the seal of the living God, and called, he called with a, with a loud voice to the four angels who had, given, who had been given the power to harm the earth and sea, saying, okay, 
So this angel said to the, all these angels who had the power to harm the earth, and he said, do not harm the earth or the sea or trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, and then sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So it gives the number of these people. And then from verse uh, 5 to 8, it gives all the details. The tribe, you know, every tribe, uh, 12,000, this tribe, 12,000, you know, every tribe. So the whole number is 144,000. So now we, let's, let's go to uh, uh, chapter 7, verse 9. And after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Verse 10, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amazing scripture. We will, we will unpack that. Uh, later on, but uh, let's 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 recap some some points that we we've covered here, okay? And we know, like like we've said, you know, few times every time, the two major themes in the book of Revelation we know is the revelation of Jesus and the uh, the uh, the uh, triumph of the church, and uh, and then also when I preached, he covered a lot of things. The scene in heaven, especially, and see the world situation, the history of the world from heaven's perspective in the light of who God is. And then she also covered the significance of the prayers of the believers, the golden bowl, the golden bowls of the incense. And what the, 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 the point she, she was making is that that very golden bowl was the, uh, the element that makes the... Uh, the, the element the element that makes the the atmosphere contribute to the atmosphere of heaven for eternity and uh, but also we discover that not only that the, that prayer is the thing that makes as the element that makes the, the the atmosphere in heaven but it's what activates God and judgment powerful so let's unpack this passage here okay the point of using the passage that, that, that we read here, okay, is uh, because I want us to take, take you know, push further this, this issue about prayer so, uh, so we can understand the significance of our, of our prayer in the context of God's eternal plan. That's why, you know, the point why I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, okay? And my hope is that this will show and change the way we pray. All right. So, to achieve that, we need to first set some theological uh, issues and misunderstanding about chapter seven, because it's a huge, it's a huge uh, chapter here. 
But as previously, uh, previously mentioned, this passage is commonly known as the interlude between the sixth and the seventh seal, okay? And scholars claim that when they talk about, when, as we read about the, uh, the, the seals, the, the judgment expressed in the seals and, and the trumpets and the, and the bowls, and according to them, that it is questionable to read the judgment expressed in all these like seals, trumpets, and bowls as chronological map of history before the end. Rather, they said, they are probably images of the kinds of judgment that characterized that time when this thing was written, arranged in the sequence with which John saw them. So what they were saying is this. It's not like John is saying, after this, then this thing will happen. After this, then this thing will happen. When you look at the repeated phrase that John is using in, in this, especially in the book of Revelation, he said, after this, after this, what he's saying is this, I saw that, and after that, I saw that, and after that, I saw that. He was not saying after that event, then after that, this thing will happen. No, he, he's not saying that. Mm -hmm. He was just saying, I saw that, and after I saw that, I saw that, and then I saw that, okay? So that's why the, the uh, scholar said you cannot uh, read it chronologically, but it's more an expression of what John saw one after another, all these different, different imagery. And all the judgments that are written happen at that time in history, pictured with the ultimate end time as the backdrop. Okay, let me say that again. So all the imagery that John presented is actually the judgment that happened at that time during the Roman Empire, and it is pictured with the ultimate end time as the backdrop. So really, the, I thought maybe the best way I can communicate is like this. It's like when you try to interpret all this, this uh, imagery in, in, uh, in the book of Revelation, the prophetic imagery, it's like when you drive, because the prophet's looking forward and looking at all this imagery. So it's like when you drive in, on a country road, on Hume Highway, for example, on the way to Sydney, and at a distance you see probably two, three, four mountains and trees. They were all standing next to each other, all right? And as you saw them, it's like, wow, they're standing next, next to each other. But when you come close to those mountains, they're actually not standing next to each other. They were miles apart. Yeah. Okay? Reading the prophetic imagery is like that. It's just all images. However, the, the, the backdrop is the ultimate end. You know, the ultimate end time. So, uh, so the, uh, the uh, scholar said, that most likely the seals cover the same span time, uh, of time covered by the trumpets and the bowls, because in each of those three sets of judgment, by the time they get to the, for example, the seventh seal, a sixth or seventh seal, or the sixth or the seventh trumpet, they built to a climactic sort of, uh, to an epic sort of climax of the end time. That's what, if you read all the, the uh, all those seals, trumpets, it's the same pattern. 
So, uh, and some of the verses that might confirm this is, uh, you can read it, you know, I can read one or two, one or two but I won't read uh, too many of them. For example, the seals in uh, Revelation 6, verse 12. On the sixth seal, where when the seal was open, it was uh, the world chaos, like the like it says here, when the sixth seal was open, I looked and behold, there was great earthquake, the sun became black and as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and you know, all this imagery actually is end time imagery, not you know, within the next few years or whatever. Okay? And the same thing happened with the trumpet and uh, the trumpets and the bowls. Like, for example, with the trumpets, the after the seventh, uh, at the seventh trumpet in, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it says here, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, Now listen to this, it says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That is the ultimate end time. Okay? So it's not the history, like, you know, now maybe this... No, no, no. We, we have to, like I said, it is the end time backdrop, as a backdrop, the, those images of end time. All right. So, now let's look at the context of our passage here that we just read, chapter 7. Now remember, like I said before, it is the interlude, okay, that is preceded by the six seals in in. Uh, Chapter 6. And in the chapter 6, the six seals are first, white horse rider, which is, which is talking about conquest. And it's written in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. And then the second horse rider is, is red horse rider, which represents bloodshed that's going to happen. It happened then, right? It happened at the time, it, just soon after this book was written, which is in chapter 6, verse 3 uh, and 4. And black horse rider, which represents famine. And then pale horse rider, which represents death. Okay? Now, all this, remember Jesus said, we have to go back to the gospel. Jesus, Jesus said, there will be rumors of wars, there will be wars and rumors of wars, but do not be alarmed because the end is not yet. Okay? So this is, like I said, this, all these things happen at the time or soon after the time it was, uh, the, the, the book was written. So, and then the fifth seal is the scene of the soul of the martyrs crying out to the Lord for justice in chapter 6 verse 9. And the cry was, how long, O Lord, until you judge? Okay, so they were crying for vengeance. Okay? And, and the Bible says they were given white robes, and then, God, and then there's a voice from heaven, from God, obviously. They were told, wait, that time that you ask for vengeance, it will come, but you have to wait until the number of uh, your fellow servants and your brothers should be complete, who were, who were to be killed just as they were killed. Okay? 
as they had been, had been killed. So, and then the sixth seal, we see, like I said before, the, the cosmic disturbance where disturbances where people call for the mountain to fall on them and to hide, and hide us from the face of him, from the wrath of him and from the wrath of the Lamb of God who's coming. So the great day of wrath has come. And then the cry of, of these people, why, <laughs> while in chapter 6, the, uh, in the chapter 6 verse 11 to uh, 11, the, the martyrs cried out, how long will you, you know, will this be, you know, will you, when will you event us? And then the cry of the kings and princes of the earth in, in this situation was, who, who can face the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb? And they asked for the mountain to cover them, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. And the question that they have here in chapter 6, verse 17, the end of chapter 6, is that who can stand the wrath of God? So that's the, the background. And then now we go to, hopefully this makes sense. So when the people of the, of the earth cried out for the mountain to cover them, because they said, who can stand the wrath of God and the Lamb? Then John made the point in chapter uh, Chapter 17, where, uh, chapter 17, in chapter 7, where, chapter 7, verse 3, he said, pretty much the point he's making is, those who can stand the wrath of God and the Lamb of God are those who are sealed by God. Okay? So while the world was crying because of the wrath of the Lamb of God, who can stand it, John made the point to say, those who can stand in chapter 7, verse 3, is like, are those who are sealed by God on their foreheads. Now, this is what we're going to talk about now. We're going to unpack this passage here. And he, he, here it is. And he says here, and the amount of the people who are sealed, in this is chapter 7, verse 4 to 8, he said, the amount of people who are sealed are numbered 144,000 people. Okay? And then it gives the, the description uh, from the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of, you know, all these 12,000, 12,000, all mount up to 144,000 people. Now, we need to, like I said, I want to talk about uh, this passage, I need to, to uh, deal with some theological issues on this passage. There are many opinions, differences of opinions on this passage, okay? First, the Jeho Jehovah Witnesses make a claim, they, they, they teach that the 144,000 are, in other words, in heaven, only 144,000 will be saved in heaven. Well, it's not... It's not hard to argue against against that because all I can say is like you mean Jesus died two thousand years ago just for one hundred and forty four thousands out of the billions of people now you know from there from then until now like it doesn't take rocket science you know it's not rocket science it's it's like Jesus wouldn't waste that time like God would die for just one hundred and forty four thousand now. I don't think so. Now, 
The other, the other view, which is very popular, and this view also common among some Christians, I'm talking about born-again Christians, okay? And this view, is, they, they are called the dispensationalists. I, I will explain to you. To, uh, I will explain to you uh, what dispensationalist is, okay? The dispensationalists, like I said, this group or this group of people who have this view, they include Christians and born-again Christians. I even believe some Pentecostals. Alright? Now this is what this is what they believe. They believe that the, from the Old Testament time until the cross, this is some of their views like main views, okay? From the Old Testament times until the cross, God's focus was Israel. That's true. And then from the cross until the second coming is the church age. So God's focus is on the church. Now this is where the, the, the thing that needs to be contested here, okay, in God's focus on the church, which is great. But now the next point is after the second coming, it says, God's, God will once again focus on Israel as the new kingdom. And so, the church era now is merely in parenthesis until the kingdom of Israel is established. Now, that is highly contested. And let me say this. I don't think so. Now, that's a different subject. We can deal with that on a, from a different letters, from Paul's writing, from you know all those things, but not for today. But let me just say this. We don't stand for that, okay? That's right. And because of that theological stance, okay, their view now is that these 144,000 as the literal Israel, the, the, the Jews, the Israelites, that, that's the 144,000 is them, not anyone else. Wow. So let's, let's talk about that. What's wrong with that interpretation, with the dispensationalist view on this passage? Okay, first point, let's, let's listen to this. Because they believe that is the literal Israel. Okay, because it says there. And from the children of Israel, so, so that's why they're okay, because it says the literal Israel. So this is my point, point number one. If you want to interpret it as the literal Israel, then we also need to take the number 144,000 literally. Fair enough, right? If you want to take it literally, Israel, then the numbers 144,000 is literal. So once again, the question is, did Jesus really die just for that? I don't think so. Let's take another passage that speaks about these 144,000 people. Okay? Go down further to Revelation chapter, four, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Talks about the same 144,000 people. And he said, it says here, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, 
and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of, of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpers playing on their harps. And verse 3, And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000. Now listen to this. Who had been redeemed from the earth. Now verse 4. I want you to listen carefully. This 144,000, he said in verse 4, it is this, okay, it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. Okay, let's pause on that. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women. You want to take that literally? Okay? Okay, let's take that literally. If you take it literally, clearly this passage is saying that, if taken literally, that out of the millions, even, forget the world, even out of the millions of Israelites, men and women, that believed in Jesus and died for their faith, only the men and only 144,000 would qualify to stand before his throne. Now, come on. Does that make sense? Like, take it literally, that's pretty much what it means. Where is the woman in there? Where, where are the women? <laughs> only 144,000 and only men will be standing before God. So, once again, this is a clear picture of reading into the text what you believe. Because remember, they believe in Israel. So they, that belief system, as they read the scripture, that believes they squeeze the scripture into what they believe. So reading into the scripture or into the text what they believe, rather than believing what you read out of yeah. the text. So the question now is, how do we read out of this text correctly? How do we read out correctly? Okay, let me give you some point. Especially the book of Revelation, with any other book. Yes, there will be different sort of, sort of shades of interpretation in any passage of the Bible. However, we can be certain, while Diane's interpretation might be different to mine, but Diane and I and, and other people, Calvin and Tenney, we can at least begin with deciding what John could be saying here. Okay? First, in anything, what the writer can't be saying, okay? So he couldn't have meant it to be literally 144,000, which means strong possibility, and I believe it is, that it is meant to be read symbolically, not literally, symbolically. What John really saying is needs to be read to be read symbolically. And the second thing that we need to read this this passage or any passage of the Bible is to read contextually. Okay? So let's 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 go through this process. Up to this point of John's writing, 
Okay, this is how we read what John is trying to say here. Up to this point in, of John's writing, there is a repeated pattern that happened in, in this writing where John was caught in a situation, okay, where what, what he heard was different to what he saw. Yeah. All right? And I'll give you an example. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, where John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, obviously Sunday, and, and then listen to this. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, write what you see in a, in a book and send it to the seven churches. Okay, he said, I heard this. In verse 12, he said, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Now listen to this. And on turning, I saw not a trumpet, neither a trumpet player, but what he saw was seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So what he heard to what he saw, the same person, still the resurrected Jesus, but what he heard is different to what he saw. Yeah. All right? Another passage in chapter 5, the, the scene in heaven. Remember? The scene in heaven, John was caught up in heaven, and then in, a, in one of the, the, the scenes, when he wept because no one was worthy to open the seal. All right? Now, as he was weeping, one of the elders said in Revelation 5, verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, okay, I'll, I'll read it again. One of the elders said to me, so guess what? That's what he heard, because they said. He said, the elder said, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so he can open the scroll that, and its seven seals. And be between the throne, the four living creatures, and among blah, 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 blah. And then, okay, so he heard from one of the elders, don't, 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 don't be disturbed. He's the Lion of Judah, and, and, and he, he spoke of the Lion of Judah. So what John heard was the Lion of Judah. And then listen to verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw. What did he see? He didn't see the Lion of Judah. He saw the Lamb of God. It. Interesting. So the, he heard the, the elders said, listen, the Lion of Judah is worthy. When he turned around and saw, yeah. it was on the Lion of Judah, but the Lamb of God. Okay? So now in our passage, yeah, okay, he heard, he said, verse 9, yeah, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palms and branches in their hands. Okay? Oh, no, no, this is, this is, uh, this is, uh, sorry, uh, back to, 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 to uh, the beginning of chapter, chapter, chapter 7. The same thing happened with John when, when he, uh, when he, he his, uh, when, when, when in chapter seven, 
he heard about the, the number who are being sealed, and it, what he heard was 144,000 people. And when he turned around in uh, chapter 7, verse 9, it wasn't 144,000. It was multitude from every nation, tongues and tribes and nations that cannot be numbered. Yeah? Because in chapter 7, verse, verse 4 to, uh, to 8, he said, I heard the number that was sealed was 144,000. But when I turned around, I saw the multitude of people clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God. People clothed in white robes. Now here's the point I, I, I want to make. Those people clothed in white robes, okay, those people are those who, whose blood cried under the altar for justice in chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. When they, when they cried, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and events our blood? And the Lord, while rewarding the, each one of them with white robes, said to them, Wait, rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now, it is interesting. The cry of the blood of martyrs, the dead people, should bring us back to the, the first cry of the blood. Who is that? Whose blood the first time cried before God? Abel, Abel okay, in the Old Testament. And many of the Old Testament scriptures filled with people crying, crying for justice. The, the, the God's people who are martyred cried for justice, like Abel as the first uh, martyr, and then also Zechariah in Second Chronicles uh, 22, uh, 24 verse 22 where, where he, he, his prayer was may the Lord see and vengeance because he was killed by, by the king. As a matter of fact, the book of Psalms are filled with uh, this, uh, the uh, heroes of the faith crying for vengeance, crying for justice. Okay, I'll give you one of the more, most gruesome examples is like where in Psalm 137, where it says, blessed, are, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dash them against the rock. This is praying, praying against Babylon. <laughs> so the, the, uh, the believer prayed for justice, and his prayer was, blessed shall he be, shall he be who takes your little ones, you, uh, Babylonians, your little ones, and dash them against the rock. You know, interesting. But I want us now to compare this, this type of prayers to the New Testament prayers. All right? right at the very beginning of the teaching of Jesus, when Jesus taught his disciples in the, in the, on, the, on, the, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, what did Jesus say? Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Okay? In Matthew chapter 6, 
when Jesus talked about the Lord's Prayer. What did he say? In chapter 6, verse 12, he said, he, he, told, he, he said to the disciples, this is how you pray. Forgive us our debts as we also forgiven, have forgiven our debtors. Okay? As we also forgave our debtors. And obviously, we know the, the, the famous prayer of Jesus in Luke chapter 23, verse 33, where Jesus said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. My question is, why the change between Old Testament prayer to the New Testament? Is it wrong to cry for justice? No, not necessarily. The Old Testament uh, heroes of the faith cried for justice. But under the New Testament, I believe the reason the prayer has changed, why? Because God's justice was accomplished and served when he nailed Jesus to the cross. That's why the, 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 there's a change. Yeah? So, and looking from God's point of view, okay, going back to the passage that we read about the prayer of the prayer of the martyrs, okay, and this is this is what what conclusion we, we, we can we can have is that the reason for the what appeared to be a delay in God's answering the prayer of the martyrs in Revelation six verse eleven, where God said, "Wait until." The reason for that appeared to be a delay is so that people from every nation might, might be sealed and stand before the throne of God. So the prayers of the blood of the martyrs while looking for justice, God's solution was bigger than merely justice. His answer was the salvation of numberless multitudes standing before his throne. That is his heart. No wonder Jesus told his disciples to pray, forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Yeah? Not only that, as a matter of fact, Jesus, when we talk about multitudes standing before the throne of God, Jesus told the disciples the first, first two sentences like, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. I believe, and here's the thing, I believe the content of our prayer is a picture of our preoccupation. And I, as I look at all the, the scriptures here, I believe the purpose of God, we need to be preoccupied with this purpose. It is interesting how even, you know, in, you're talking about, talking about New Testament prayer. Interesting that Stephen, before he was, well, he was being stoned to death, before his last breath, what did he pray? He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do not hold this sin against them. And 
for whatever you, your interpretation will be, but just think, when he said that prayer, stood in front of him was a guy who looked after the, the because when you when you actually stoning people, you have to take your clothes off and all those things. As stood in front of him was a guy who looked after minding the the, the clothes of, of the people who was, who was stoning him. Do you know who that guy was? Paul. <laughs> you just never know that prayer will be answered by Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Just never know. That's why sometimes I'm troubled by Christians who stand up in rebellion, in defiance against the government's authority and all those things because they're looking for justice. It is my right, my freedom. Really, guys? Is that how you accomplish justice? I don't think so. You know, when, when, Paul, um, when Paul wrote, be submit to all form of authority in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, do you know who was in authority at that time? It was Nero, the most evil emperor. Yeah. yeah. And the same guy in the same generation, or not the same guy, a different guy in the same generation called Peter. In the... In his writing, in his first epistle, he said, same thing like Paul, submit to all forms of authority, submit to, God, uh, submit to all forms of authority, and, and listen to this, even under the same rulership of Nero, he wrote the same thing. He said, and this is what he wrote, submit to your uh, slaves, submit to your master, and guess what he said? Submit to your master, not only to those who are decent, and kind, but those who are unjust. Mm. So guess what? The level of our submission to people in authority shows the level of our trust in him. Yeah. Because in writing that, Peter said, Jesus was treated unjustly, but he, he just kept going. You know why? Because he entrusted himself who judges justly. And Paul has the big picture when he wrote to Timothy, okay? Paul mentored Timothy as a young minister, young pastor, who's trying to, to read the church. This is what Paul said. He said, okay, I can give you all instruction. But first of all, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, God, uh, uh, Paul said to Peter, first of all, I urge you that supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving, listen to that, thanksgiving, Okay? Be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high position. So, guess what? We need to give thanks for, to God for Dan Andrews. Okay? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now listen to this. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Can I have the measles? Just let's just. At the start, I said, I hope with this sermon that this will somehow change the way we pray. And I even hope that this will intensify 
the prayer level in the church. Right? Like I said, the content of our prayers gives an indication of our preoccupation. Yeah. The significance of our prayer in the context of God's plan. So what have you learned? The last thing I want to say is this. The essence of prayer is is this. Surrendering to God. Just like Jesus' prayer. Not by will, but your will be done. And the goal of our prayer is our neighbors, our family, multitudes, whom we stand in before God. <laughs>